Hi, I'm Mary. I'm Nolan. I'm Lakita Ann. And I'm Austin. We are your hosts, and this is Your World, Your Money. We will be talking real money with real people in a real way. Because everyone deserves the opportunity and tools for freedom, financial or otherwise. Your World, Your Money is brought to you by Hangar Studios, a New York City-based recording studio, and Global Thinking Foundation, a global nonprofit working toward financial freedom and equality for all. everyone. Thank you for joining us again today on Your World, Your Money. I'm one of your hosts, Austin, and I'm here today with Mary. Hi, everybody. Missed you. So last week, we talked with Sabrina, the founder and CEO of World of Money, a curriculum platform and school for kids to learn how to be their best financial selves, or as they say at World of Money, future money moguls. In our conversation with Sabrina, we talked real practical money education in the home, what kind of money parent you are, and answered some listener questions. This week, we're still talking money and kids, but we're talking about influences that we don't always have control over, like media and culture. That's right, Austin. Media and culture. And this is one really close to home for those of us at Global Thinking Foundation. We literally have a program based on the premise, culture shapes media and media shapes culture. But seeing as Austin and I are still not experts on being parents, I'm pretty sure we suddenly didn't become parents in the last week. Did you, Austin? I didn't. I didn't think that. Yeah. Nope. We need some help. So we asked for some help from a researcher and a mom. So our researcher we have is Ashley. She's our expert guest today. She's a researcher and doctoral candidate in family studies and human development at the University of Arizona. Her research focus is family finance, including couple finance and financial socialization. Ashley has published 26 peer-reviewed articles and is on the editorial board for the Journal of Family and Economic Issues. She is co-chair of the Family Financial Wellbeing Focus Group for the National Council on Family Relations and is co-chair of the Finances Topic Network for the Society for the Study of Emerging Adulthood. Thank you, Austin. And we also have Jen, our badass mom, joining us today. She was in marketing and business consulting for over 15 years. Then she decided to open Hangar Studios in 2009. Being a podcast industry early adopter, she is now helming the first podcast production company owned by a woman of color. Jennifer also hosts and produces two podcasts, Big Girl Panties and Stripped. On her days off, she is on the advisory board for End Abuse for Good. She's a public speaker on topics pertaining to podcasting and leadership. She coaches others to speak freely in their lives, also refinishes furniture. That's awesome. And best of all, she is a mom and friend to her five kids. What is a day like in your house? Like, how does that go? Very fast, uh, depending (laughs) on the day. So usually I'll wake up in the morning and I'll get all the kids ready. I have three living at home with me right now. I have an 18-year-old girl named Eden, a 16-year-old son named Aiden, which trying to get that straight is sometimes (laughs) hard. And then I have an 11-year-old named Nir. So we get up in the morning, make sure everybody is online and ready to go. And then I start my day with a cup of coffee, which is fantastic. 
But I'm off to the races since then. And usually I've got about 30 minutes in between the kids coming in and asking me to help them with something. And then the (laughs) day usually ends up ending around 9 or 10 at night, depending on if the day was good. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, that's typically how my day goes. It's it's a lot of constant running and a lot of schedules. What are the things that just, you know, drive you nuts? Or, or maybe you're, like, super cute if it's, like, a good day. Well, what's driving me nuts now is COVID, obviously. <laughs> Having the kids <laughs> online and keeping up with the homework and making sure that they know what they're doing is, you know, really interesting. But the one thing that I found is we've really pulled together as a family which is really beautiful. We all know that we're in this boat together. And so we're really a team in being in this house and being a family. So that's really amazing. And they help each other out without me even asking, which is really, really sweet. But I do say at the end of the day, I typically will pull up their portfolios and I'll say, do you want to know what happened in the stocks today with your stocks? And they'll Mm. say yes. And they know that You know, if they've made money, they celebrate. If they lost money, they know that they just have to wait a little bit and and just, you know, not be reactive to it. But we kind of do that around dinner time when we ask our two questions. We ask, what was your favorite part of the day and what are you most grateful for? And we kind of have a roundtable discussion about that. So. This sounds so functional. I'm like, oh, this sounds beautiful. Yeah, well, there's a lot of times in between them. (laughs) But yes, I mean, those are the two things we try to do every day, just the questions, yeah. Well, you were actually talking about, I think it's incredible that you guys talk about stocks and, you know, the increases or decreases in their portfolio. When else do you think they encounter money in a day? Pre-COVID or maybe now, however it works out. But how often do you think they come into contact with money things or money in general? I would say every day. You know, this morning, my son wanted to get the new Xbox that's coming out. (laughs) And so it was really, um, instead of just getting it and understanding that it's something that I get, it was, let's see how much it is and let's see if we can afford it. And so it was a great conversation to have with them. So every single day they come into it. My son wants to bleach his hair blonde, right? Great. That's fantastic. Well, this is what you need to do to do that, and how much is it going to cost, right? So mm-hmm. it, it comes they, at least once a day, I would say, if not more. And I imagine there's going to be like a top or a shower curtain over the entire bathroom. Absolutely everything is covered. <laughs> I'm actually going to get my stepdaughter to do it. I'm not even going to do it. I'm going to say, you do it. This is fantastic. They're helping each other. Yes, she's bleaching his hair right now. Um, this is fantastic. I love how they're helping each other. So... With your five kids, like again, whether it's COVID, pre-COVID, however it is for you, what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced teaching your kids and potentially the different personalities of your kids about money as they grew up or today? Like, what were some of the biggest ones that you remember and you're like, oh, that was, that was fun? Getting them to understand that, yes, money does not grow on trees, but also thinking mm-hmm. about tomorrow. Um, There was this really great experiment that they did, and I don't know if you guys know about this, but they were trying to figure out the two different types of kids. Are you a one marshmallow kid or a two marshmallow kid? And the one marshmallow is you can have this one marshmallow now or you can wait an hour or two and have two. And so it was really trying to figure out which one of my kids was the one marshmallow and the two marshmallow. Mm. And so I found out that my 16-year-old son, Aiden, is a one marshmallow 
kid. And so teaching him to kind of understand the basics of spending and what that means and his account isn't limitless. Um, And then also teaching the idea of saving for the future. That I found was probably the most difficult portion. They understand saving for something bigger, but saving for something that's not tangible, that's Mm. 15, 20 years down the road, has been the most difficult portion of it. But bypassing that by telling them, hey, this is how your mutual funds have grown, right, has been really, really helpful. I love that you mentioned that because in our last episode with Sabrina, there was a question about savings accounts and, you know, when do you get one for a kid and all this other stuff. And she said something that I thought was so important was that when a kid is born, you open a savings account and it doesn't matter how much it is, you get them to put money into it. And eventually, by the time that kid is 18 or whatever, that savings account is going to have grown to around 500,000-ish dollars, give or take, depending on what it's in and stuff like that. And as she was mentioning this, you know, we realize what a big deal that is. We understand as adults, like, oh, that is is an incredible place to be in uh, when you graduate. But I love what you're mentioning here, that you have to teach kids what that value is. You can't just hand it to them when they're 18 and be like, here you go. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's exactly how you teach kids that it is a limitless bank account. Right. And also, you know what I, the best thing I ever did was to pull up, I just Googled investment calculator. And so I told them, I said, okay, if we deposit this amount and then we put in this amount every single month for the next 20 years, it tells you exactly the bottom line. And so when they saw mm. like six, seven figures, their eyes would just pop out of their head. And then they got it. They said, oh, my God, Same. I'll be rich. I'll be rich. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so that really motivated them. That was that was the turn. That was the turn. Oh, it's just so interesting that you bring this up. And I think when we talk about money, it's so multifaceted, right? There's You're teaching about value. You're teaching about patience. You're teaching about all these things. It's not just a physical thing that is money. So I'd be interested to hear from Ashley too, as you're talking about socialization and how we're teaching children about this thing. I mean, it's hard enough for me to wrap my head around it sometimes. It's a piece of paper, but then it ends up turning into this other thing. So what are things that that you can do as a parent to show children that yes, this is a tangible thing, but there's so many other things in this world that you're learning simultaneously? So, I mean... First of all, just getting kids comfortable with money from an early age, it can be helpful with that. Just first, they need to understand the concept of money, but then broadening their vision of what they can do with money by not just teaching them concepts about money and trying to build their financial knowledge, but also very purposefully instilling financial attitudes and values, helping them think Mm -hmm. about the future, what goals they have for their life, what they want their life to look like, and helping them think of money as a tool to get there. Makes sense. Jen, for you, as you were talking about, you know, you have these conversations about money and you're teaching them these things and it sounds like doing just such an incredible job of teaching these values. Do you find yourself ever being frustrated by culture and media that are changing that narrative and they're watching a show on, you know, Disney Channel or Nickelodeon and all of a sudden, you know, these characters are spending all their money and and they're buying whatever they want or they live in these situations or these houses. I remember watching Disney Channel and everyone lived in these insane houses. And I'm like, what, like, how, what is this like? So as a mom, you know, you're teaching them and you're having this lesson, you know, one marshmallow, two marshmallow. Does that just get completely wrecked sometimes by, by media or culture? And, and how do you 
as a mom then try to, you know, circumnavigate that conversation. So absolutely. So Aiden, the 16-year-old. So we live on the Gold Coast of Long Island, which not in this okay. little enclave that we're in. It's a lot of rentals here, but we're surrounded by uber, uber wealthy people. And my son has mm. friends in high school that are incredibly wealthy. I mean, basketball courts in their mm. basements, movie theaters. They've got a helipad in the backyard. I mean, crazy, crazy wealth. And so he comes back and he says, Mom, you know, we live in the hood. I said, honey, we, don't live, we do not live in the hood. I mean, I, you don't know what a hood is. But he, he doesn't understand the concept of what's normal mm. and what isn't normal. And you see it all the time in media. He loves rap. And so he looks at mm. um, what they say in a lot of the rap music um, and, and just culture in general. And he says, well, I want the Gucci and the Louis and this. I mean, he asked me for, for a Versace robe for his birthday last year, right? I said, I'm not setting you up for any failure here, right? <laughs> and so, yes, I, I really do come up against it. Um, and the way I kind of, I've been able to circumvent that because at some point I think he will catch on that this just isn't given to you because you're cute. Mm. Um you know, he. I hired him at the business as a part-time. He actually does work in my business, and I take half of that and put that into his securities, and the other half he can go and play with it. But don't ask me for any money because you're making your own, right? Mm. <laughs> so that's the way that I circumvent it. I force it on him, although I don't want him to have a negative feeling about money. Uh, that's the way that I do it. You know, I hear I hear you say that your son is like, I'd love a Versace robe for my birthday or for Christmas. And I'm over here and my, my mom was asking me literally that same question last week. And I'm a grown up. And I was like, you know, you know, I might need to call her back and be like, I'm actually, I decided I need a Versace robe. Um, I might need the matching socks and slippers as well, just, just so that you know. You know, maybe as a grown up, I can get away with that. Who knows? Um, but Ashley, I'd actually love to then push that over to you and talk about the media and almost, I mean, it's not unconscious because we're aware of it, but it does to this degree have this subconscious effect or um, we're not particularly aware of it, especially for kids, that media and culture and, you know, just like socioeconomic culture where you live and stuff like that has on kids and the education that they receive around money, whether it's in the home or school, whichever way to take that. Yeah, so as far as, you know, what kind of money messages kids learn about through the media, we have this thing called a comparison level where we, it's kind of like the concept like keeping up with the Joneses, right, where we think that we need or want things based on not what, you know, we just independently decided, but based on comparing ourselves with the people around us. And that is kind of amplified by what we see in the media. And you talked about how, you know, we're aware of it. But the problem is, is that a lot of times kids and teenagers are not aware of that. So that's one thing that parents can do is have those like open conversations and help kids recognize the messages that they're being sent. Because, you know, from anywhere from porn to advertisements that we get, we're, we're taught scripts of what is normal and what we should want. And so, um, you know, we kids may not actually really want, you know, X, Y, or Z, but 
But if they're constantly bombarded with these messages, then they're comparing their circumstances to that. So even um, a lot of kids in the in the U.S. who are very well off, their comparison level is these you know these reality TV shows that don't actually reflect reality for 99% of the country. And then you know even beyond that, just thinking about other you know communities around or even other parts of the world that are just far less off than a lot of our kids are. And so as parents, it's important to, first of all, help kids be aware of the messages that the media is sending them, and then to help change your kid's comparison level. How can we share with children that there is money and there's education around it, so you value the dollar, and culturally, you might be surrounded by your own circumstances, but you can go way above them and beyond them. You can do the impossible. How do we do the inverse of that? How can we, whether it's you know very direct or it, whether it's through um, shifting the media and culture that kids are exposed to and say to the kids that don't necessarily understand that the world is completely possible for them, especially through command of their money and the money that they will then earn as an adult. How can we, how can we do that? Uh, so one of the most powerful ways that parents teach their kids about money is through what we call in the research experiential learning. So it's one thing to, you know, set a good example for kids about how to handle money. It's another thing to, you know, talk to them about money, but it's really powerful for kids. Um, it really kind of instills the lessons you're trying to teach when you actually give them hands-on experience with mm some financial concepts. So I love, Jennifer, that you actually have your kids invest money themselves and then they get to see the, you know, the fruits of that investment. They get to watch it go up and down, but, you know, kind of over the long term go up. And so I think those hands-on experiences make financial lessons real for kids. And if they, you know, if we give them experience saving and investing, then they see that those goals are possible. And if they're doing that saving and investing with particular ends in mind, um, so, you know, especially for younger kids, it might be more helpful to teach them with a short-term goal. So, you know, maybe they want that Lego set or whatever, then to help them save up for that and then get that, that helps them see that they can set a financial goal. And if they put in a little self-discipline and effort, then they can get that. And then as kids grow older and become teenagers, then we help them see to longer term financial goals, like, you know, a car or college or, you know, whatever their dreams and goals are. So I think the two things here are, first of all, like helping them really reflect on what they want out of life. And some of that might be, um, you know, maybe helping them counter some of the consumerist, materialistic messages that they're being sent by the media and see, you know, what do you really want out of life? And if that's to have the biggest house on the block, that's great. We can get you there. But to really reflect on that and think about what they want, not what people are telling them that they want. And then second of all, to help them um, have successful experiences that help them realize that that can be possible. I love the comparison there. And it makes me think about like just the difference of, want versus ability that there's a there's a difference in oh we're able to buy this but we don't need it or we don't want it and it just brings me to the other point that you're talking about with language in the home and this is a question for both Jen and for you Ashley I know for me just how my parents talked about money so significantly influenced how I think about money. My family is a, a family of deep faith and, you know, they talked about it, it's not ours, it's God's and it's, it, it's, you know, part of this greater thing and, and had such a financial faith that, you know, we will give and we'll be generous and it will find its way back. And that significantly has, you know, impacted how I feel about my finances currently. Um, 
and even thinking back to, oh, we can't afford this or, oh, you know, we're quote poor or using these, these words that have been determined, you know, how does that affect a child and Jen as a parent? Like, is that something that, that you're aware of? Are there things that you've thought about? Oh, I wish I would have changed language here, or I found this kind of language like super successful. Lots of questions in there, but interested to hear both of your perspectives on just language and money and how those two things interact. So I grew up in a household where I had a traditional Asian father and he um, worked, you know, his to the bone as a pharmacist. And so we weren't necessarily poor, but he was extremely cheap. Like he wore the same pants Mm. every single day to work, the same shirt, every single polyester gray pants. I'll never forget it. And these black sneakers every single day. And I never understood why he never changed his clothes. But he was an immigrant from Hong Kong whenever he came here. And so he it's the typical story, $50 in the pocket. And so he really built his life here. But my mother was a spender. And I really thought that that credit card was just like magic money because every time she swiped <laughs> it, it was just like bags and bags of clothes would come home with her. And so I had this kind of duality happening in my household But then I also saw that she relied on my father a lot as a woman to provide for her. And even my father would say, you know, I want you to marry a rich Chinese man. And so Mm. there was never a conversation of what I can achieve to stand on my own. It was more I'm going to make my well-being is going to be based on the man that I marry, right? And so it was very, very interesting. And so that was one lesson I learned from my parents was, you know, I, I got the savings from my from my father. I got the little bit of spending, still enjoy myself, but money is still a tool to be respected. And in terms of my daughters, I really, I raised them to say, hey, wouldn't it be great for you to be independent financially and all the way around when you get older, right? You don't need to pull yourself up to the 10 very wealthy kind of cute guys, right? You don't need to be stuck in those relationships. You can choose whoever you want and be independently and financially, uh, well, financially independent. So that's one thing for the girls in my family. And so they have, Eden also works for the company. So she decided herself that she was going to put half into her securities. And so that's great. She sees that grow. And uh, she preaches to her older sister, who is now married, kind of living (laughs) off her husband, and says, well, I don't want your life, right? So she's very, very cute. And to my younger ones, um, well, especially my 11-year-old, he understands that when he comes to me with something, um, he has to work to make the money. He's He's 11, but he has to work to make the money in order to purchase those things. So he's really, um, he's really good with it, I have to say. He's really good. I forgot the rest of the questions. <laughs> it was very long. No, that was amazing. <laughs> I just wanted to jump in and say thank you for highlighting that because I think that potentially one of the most destructive things that we do with culture and media is instill what your gender should be doing, uh, what they should expect, what they should uh, be when they grow up when it comes to money. And, And I just wanted to jump in and say thank you, because if we don't break down that barrier, whether it's for women 
or for men or girls or boys, like boys, you don't have to be the breadwinner. You can be equal. Who crazy. Or women, you can be equal. You don't have to rely. Whichever way we're breaking it down, that is one of the most destructive um, stereotypes I can think of or, or cultural beliefs. And I, I just had to jump in and say thank you because that's so important to break down, especially when it comes to money, because money is a freedom. So had to jump in there. Yeah, I am so glad, Jen, that you highlighted that. I think until this moment, I'm understanding how that kind of functioned in my own life, being from the Midwest and understanding that, you know, the male was supposed to take care and provide. And then you know, I, I came out and I'm gay. And, and does that still operate this way in, in a same-sex relationship? And what is my responsibility there? And I think there's so much about gender and sexuality with finances all tied into each other. So actually really would love to hear about that socialization of the importance of socializing toward equality in that way and taking into account gender and sexuality um, in this money conversation. Yeah, for sure. So I also do a couple finance research and one of my favorite papers that I've written was we uh, I used a feminist lens to study how couples manage their money together. How does that affect both of their feelings of power in the relationship? power like in a good way, like successful relationships are where both partners report that they have like a say and an influence in their relationship. Those are the relationships that tend to have the best relationship satisfaction and relationship stability. Anyway, and so we we did find that couples who have joint bank accounts, who manage their money together as a team, where both partners are involved in, in making financial decisions and handling money, that those couples tended to report higher power in their relationship and tended to have better relationship outcomes. So, you know, historically, obviously, you know, we've talked about that girls have not been socialized the same way as boys. And so it's hugely important for parents that they, I mean, this is tied to money as well as lots of other things, but I loved Jennifer's experiences were spot on. Luckily, you kind of overcame the socialization that you were given, but Yes. So another piece in financial socialization research is that financial self-efficacy is what they call it, is a huge predictor of your financial well-being. And so, you know, people who were taught well about money by their parents tend to have a higher financial self-efficacy. So, you know, hands-on experiences are important for that. And by the way, financial self-efficacy, meaning confidence with money, like you, you feel confident handling money and you think of yourself as a good money manager. And I think it's a especially important that we make sure that girls get that confidence around money and get those experiences with money because they might be receiving counter messages from their culture and their media that that's not as important for them. And so I think it's really important to stress that maybe even more for girls, help them think about their dreams and develop that confidence with money because that will influence their financial future. Taking this topic, like the, the, something that's so destructive or something that's just can create massive upheaval, what are potentially like the other, to both Jen and Ashley, what would you say is like the other big one or two things that you encounter with media or culture or in society with kids that are just, they're the most destructive thing when it comes to money and whether it's socialization or just like education in general? 
Uh, This is kind of going off of what I was talking about before, but the consumer's culture, high levels of materialism, the research that I do is usually looking at relationship outcomes. So obviously other research has found, you know, that high levels of materialism is associated with more debt, you know, people being out of control spenders. And so having materialistic attitudes, yeah, is, can be detrimental financially, but also relationally, people who report high materialism are more likely to report lower marital satisfaction. And so just this attitude of never really being satisfied with what you have can kind of seep into all areas of your life and prioritizing things and money over, you know, other maybe more important things in your life can start to impact how you behave towards various things in your life. So that's just another one. And I would really love to see more education in the schools around finances. They're really, there's not. And I remember taking an economics class in high school and I was bored to tears, right? But mm-hmm. understanding like it can actually be fun and teaching that it's a tool and showing them, you know, if A happens today, then Z can happen later, right? And just teaching these tools. There's no education anywhere other than the parents, and we all know that kids don't necessarily love to listen to us all the time because we talk too much. But um, yeah, some education would be great. I feel that very strongly. I even through college, you know, you're, you're not having that. the The first true financial education I had was my student loan exit exit counseling. And at that point, it's it's a little too late. And so I certainly just want to echo the importance for financial education, whether that be in the home or other sources. Yeah. So with that in mind, do either of you have any last words of wisdom to parents out there trying to find financially socialize their children? Advice, last questions, last comments on what this looks like to really be on the grounds teaching your kids about money? Uh, I'll go. So you know, obviously we've said all these things and, you know, I'm not a parent yet, but I've heard that it's actually a lot harder in, in reality than it is in theory. So um, <laughs> to all parents, first of all, good job for just trying. That's the first step is just being intentional about trying to teach your kids about money is going to be a great start and you might be doing better than you think. But with that, research has found that parents who have a high quality relationship with their child their financial socialization to their child tends to be more impactful. So I would say to, you know, parents like, yes, definitely spend time and energy on thinking about how to better teach them about money, but it will also be helpful to just build your relationship with them. And if you have a warm, trusting relationship, if they come to you with questions, if they take your advice about things because they respect you, then the things you're trying to teach them about money will stick better. So if you don't know where to start, just try to improve your relationship with them would be step one. And I would say for the parents out there that haven't started saving or don't understand saving to even share that with your children, Start by saving $5 a month. It doesn't need to be $500. It doesn't need to be 1000 You can start with 5 and just invest a little bit and see what happens so that way you educate yourself so that you can educate your children. It doesn't need to be a huge leap. Just jump. Thank you both so much for sharing that. And something that harkens back to um, our last episode that you just made me think of that 
I really want to emphasize right after these two incredible notes is that it's absolutely never too late. Like, it doesn't matter if you think, oh, my kid's 15, like, it's, they're, they're going to be off. Like, I don't have to worry about it. It mm-hmm. is absolutely never too late to take those steps and just dive into money and finances with your kids. Again, whether it's, as Ashley was mentioning, improving the relationship or starting to save with them, as Jen mentioned, it's just absolutely, it's never too late. It doesn't matter if they're like, I'm going to uni next month, like just go for it. Like it's absolutely never too late. So thank you guys, both of you so much. This was fantastic. Just like I said on our last episode, I feel like I'm going to be a really good money parent one day if that ever happens I'm gonna be like my child is gonna become a future money mogul and they're gonna understand stocks it's gonna be great so thank you guys so much for sharing your experience with your kids Jen and uh, your experience with research Ashley thank you both so much thank you it's been a pleasure so thank you guys again and thanks for listening in with us Be sure to join us again next week when we will continue talking money and kids, but addressing one of our all-time absolute favorite topics, student loans. JK, that's, that's literally no one's favorite topic on the planet. But be sure to join us and discover this new world for college students and how paying for it is actually rapidly changing. Thanks again, and let's chat next week. You've been listening in with Your World, Your Money. You can find us at ywympodcast.com and stay updated on Instagram at Global Thinking Foundation USA. Be sure to rate and review us and you can reach us with questions or thoughts at hi at ywympodcast.com. Our thanks again to Hangar Studios and Global Thinking Foundation. Thanks, friends. Happy money making. See you next time.